I'm sitting down again with Dr. Thor Madsen to talk about how to study and teach the Bible. It may not make headlines, but the kingdom of God is advancing today. Here on Timothy Talks, we're sitting down with church leaders and thinkers, learning more about the church today, the mission of the church, and effective ministry within the church. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for tuning in again to Timothy Talks. Today, I'm continuing my discussion with Dr. Thor Madsen from Midwestern Seminary and talking about how to study and teach the Bible. Now, once again, the audio quality is not great, and I apologize for that, but this is some great discussion that we had, so I wanted to share it with you and hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Tell me more about how you study a passage and how you do that within the book, like obviously going through the Gospels. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it was driven by my sense that the prologue is programmatic, like it does set you up for the gospel. In other words, the major themes that, that you're supposed to be looking for are there. So you kind of read through it on the hunt for, you know what I mean? Like, when am I going to see this? Things like um, children born not of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Okay, when am I going to see that? Well, in chapter three. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, when he talks about um, his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, you get a little bit of basically chapter four in there. See what I mean? So you start to think about um, those kinds of themes and anticipate those coming up, and they do. You know, they really do. So um, that's how I try to read it: is I allow as much as possible. It, you know, can be, you know, the early parts of an epistle, the gospel to set the tone for the rest, because it, it tends to be that way. Um, and then, you, you know, it's a matter of um, just kind of plugging through and seeing what you can find, you know. So... And I know it's not just a programmatic step-by-step mm -hmm. thing, but if I want to do something like what you're doing, mm -hmm. just to take a random book mm -hmm. of the Bible, mm -hmm. obviously with John, you had already studied through it a lot before you just sat mm -hmm. down and did your two to three days. But I may not have done mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. as much. How do you recommend that I... Are there steps to take to get to where I can take that whole book and then be able to walk through it? Like you're doing? Yeah, I mean... One of the first things is, um, well, I'll tell you uh, something important is, it, even though it's it's not a book about Greek exegesis or, or Hebrew or anything like that, you, I, so I say this with that qualification added, but, but sort of the basic principles are the same. Is, have you ever read the book, How to Read a Book? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that. In other words, what they what they talk about in those is what you actually do have to do, which is you have levels of reading that you um, that you engage in. So one is um, the highest level is systematic skimming, and then you drop down to 
layers that are below that, and one of them, you know, the the pass the part that everybody looks at most in most details, analytical reading, where you're trying to with with careful marking and so forth, you're trying to find the seams and the structure even before you really actually know what they mean. That's part of it. I mean, it. And, and that part you can kind of tell by, almost everybody can by feel. In other words, you sort of know when you have detected a change in subject matter or tone. <clears throat> and I think what, what's good about that book for people who are in biblical studies is they press the idea of you're looking for the implied argument. That, that's always the key thing. So when you're doing uh, testament exegesis, you're always looking for the reason why this passage is there. That there's a there's a there's an argument being made, and you're given reasons to believe the, the truth of what the author is trying to say, and um, because it comes at you in narrative form. See, that's the trick. You know, that's where in the gospels because it's a narrative. Structure there will tend to be a key statement. So what you want to do is, when you're looking through, test the different ones that seem to be given prominence. So, for example, um, you know, if, if Thomas in the, at the end of John's Gospel says, "My Lord and my God," you know what I mean. That that's gonna be a big hint. You know what I mean. That or. Um, Romans 9, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. See what I mean? And then he starts to argue, and that's what you're looking for. It is um, from one passage to the next, the, the, the pivotal statement. But here's where you, where you have to be careful. Um, what ends up happening in a lot of cases is... Um, for example, in preaching, is people that they're they have in their minds, like they, for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure. I think it's partly seminary training, and that's fine. It's good. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. But what most uh, people who teach homiletics will do is they'll they'll put upon the student the expectation that they're only going to preach on three or four verses. You know what I mean? Or maybe, you know, five, but, but it, not that many. Okay, so why does that matter? Well, it means, therefore, that, that what will happen is that since that, pa that passage you're going to preach on is actually part of a wider argument, they'll miss that argument. And then the sermon will be about the theological implications of the passage that they pulled out. And there will be many, and they'll all be very edifying, you know what I mean? It, but they're, they're preaching the theological implications of what is said, not the reason why it's said. Does that make sense? Yes. <clears throat> and um, that's where you can kind of get distracted. Um, and then when people are looking at um, when they're looking at the text because that's how they're used to being pushed to look at it 
they'll 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 see only the bark on the trees. They won't see the forest at all. See, I mean, and I'm always looking at the forest. Always. Um, and if I want to say something about theological implications, I do. But I'll always tell people, even if I'm preaching out, I'll say, you know, I'm about ready to say something that is not part of the argument itself. But I'm going to say it anyway because it's important. Here's the doctrine, you know, that you need to know, and here's the place where you can find that. And then I'll tell them, okay, I'm going back to the original. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because I want that to be clear in, in the minds of those who hear me what's the difference between a theological implication of a passage and, and the, the flow of thought in it um, Old Testament narratives are harder um, you can do it you know I mean you, you see that but What sometimes can happen there is that passages become, they're preached like, like Aesop's fables. You know, which they can be. I mean, sometimes that's true. Like 1 Kings 13 is, is kind of like a morality play. You know what I mean? It is that. Um, where you have the old prophet and the young prophet and all these, these things happen where... Um, you know, the young prophet has an extraordinary ministry and disobeys God on a small point and he dies. <laughs> I mean, lions come and get him, you know, and and um, you're to see that, that there isn't latitude for disobedience, even with prophets. That's the point. Okay, but why make that? Why say that? You know what I mean? Well, because it, it, if you were to look at the whole the first kings you realize that this is <laughs> it's a time characterized by disobedience right I mean it's not good these are not good days you know what I mean and so the argument implied is if a prophet is held accountable what of the ordinary person see what I mean those are the kinds of things to um, to keep watch on. So, I mean, even in the Old Testament, I would still be asking similar questions. What's harder then is to try to contextualize, you know, a sermon. You know, you almost have to spend, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes situating people. You know what I mean? Here's what's come before, here's what's come after, here's why you're seeing this. You know what I mean? Um, it's just, in, in some ways, a lot harder to do. Um, because of the time constraints we're under, you know, and it's, I don't know where you, you are, but I mean, it tends to be like, you know, 30 minutes is the expectation, not 45, not 50. <laughs> you understand, you know what I mean? People just kind of um, have a hard time. So, you know, I always wire it for 30 minutes and, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not. Um, I wouldn't want to say there's a particular formula that I use. It's more the set of expectations that I bring 
to the tax, and one of them is I expect them to cohere. Um, I expect that coherence to be more obvious than any detail. Um, I think somebody hearing it is going to be able to get that. And that it will answer the timeless questions we all have, you know, I mean, um, so for example, with the Gospel of John, I think one of the biggest questions in the life of Christ is going to be, why don't the Jews believe? Right? I mean, and of course John says that in the prologue. He, he notes that fact. Well, you're going to have huge amounts of energy devoted to that issue. Like, it's going to be in the gospel. It's somewhere. You know, and in fact, it's just over and over again. You know what I mean? So, um, I expect them to be apologetically oriented. I think that's true. They're going to try to convince people that Jesus is who he says he is, and, and that won't be easy. But a lot, you know, a lot of it is probably the fact that being someone who teaches apologetics, I'm already thinking that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that. The, the philosophy background has helped me a lot because that's what you do in philosophy you analyze arguments so in effect having had that background it helps me to look for that and I had a guy at Western um, he was totally predictable in a good way wasn't Nash, his name was Alan Anderson, and um, he wasn't, um, you know, he, he was a secular person, but but a very good teacher, you know, he, he I mean, kind of interesting, um, but he, uh, whenever he would teach a class, he would, he would, there would be readings, and you always know the very first question you're going to get from every time okay so what's his thesis you know what I mean you're going to be asked that what's the structure of the argument he would always say that and, and we're expected to know to have done the how to read a book analysis on it in other words to break it down into its parts and um, that's what it always would be um, and he even said that he said uh, you know my my goal here, um, more than any, more than any particular content, although that's important too. But he said, "Is teaching you how to read this kind of writing." You know, that, that's what I'm trying to do, and um, it, it was hugely helpful. I mean, it takes a while, you know. I will say that, but once you get you know what I mean? Once you get your mind working in that way, then um, to some degree you can be more efficient. Like you can kind of cut to the chase uh, to a certain degree. Um, so the other thing I do, this is kind of a side note, is that when I'm trying to get the big picture, 
pretty much work exclusively with English translation. Just one that, you know, because you can't skim, you know, no matter how good you are and great, you're probably not going to be able to skim it. You know what I mean? You, and, and be able to see the big picture, you just can't do it. Um, it's, it's later than that I kind of come back and uh, examine particular parts of it. You know what I mean? That is this... Is this stacking up based on what I know of the original text? You know, is there any anything that defeats my theory? <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and that can happen. I'll, I mean, for example, John's Gospel is reasonably simple. Um, you know, as far as the uh, technicalities of vocabulary and things like that, it's, it's fairly simple. Luke would be very hard. You know, most people would say... Um, but I'll try to do that, you know what I mean? So it, when I'm just kind of going over it initially, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skimming the English and just sort of getting a feel for certain ideas that are there. Um, then I'll come back and, and look at um, the details in greater, you know, very much close up. But that's, you know, that's just something, and I've heard that from different, different uh, professors, you know, even Old Testament guys will say that, New Testament will say, yeah, I mean, you you need to be able to, to move quickly through it and just sort of see the big sweep of it, and you can't do that, even if you're an ace in Hebrew, or you're not going to be able to, you know what I mean, you just can't, so, um, I, you know, that that's just to say your first step shouldn't be necessarily, if you're trying to move if you're trying to do something with some degree of efficiency, your first step can't be to, to sight read all the way through. You know what I mean? It, probably you can't do that. You know what I mean? But that, you're going to get to a point where you do need to sort of get a sense of where it's going, um, then back up and try to read through it and see is there something here, repetitions of words, structuring devices, things like that. Is there anything I need to see here that would change my mind? Do you know what I mean? Mm. But um, I think it, it's better to start with some kind of working hypothesis and then try to, okay. you know what I mean, read the Greek text and to try to get that from reading, you know what I mean, the original. So one question I had is, as you're going through like John or mm -hmm. when you were in Matthew, mm -hmm. you seem to, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like your break as to what the point of the narrative is, mm -hmm. seems to follow the chapter break. Often do. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because the chapter breaks are good? They're logical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Almost always. Um, there are exceptions. So, for example, uh, the, the, the transition from, let's just say, Matthew 9 to 10, I think that... The, the next unit begins right at, it's 9 verse 35 and following, if I'm remembering this correctly, where, when, you know, Jesus looking out over the people, he had compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know what I mean? Okay, that begins the next section. So you don't want to be slavishly tied to the chapters, but the chapters are basically logical. I mean, they're not... Um, the only thing you'd have to watch for is is possibly 
more than one meaningful unit within a chapter. Sometimes you just have to be careful there. Just as an example, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I would try to preach. Let's just say, as an example, all of John three. Probably not. I mean, I probably would divide that up um, so that you have the um, you have the controversy with John the Baptist. You know what I mean? That that's a little bit different. It, it, it's related, but you know what I mean? It's enough different that I probably would, would draw a line right there. Um, but in general, I, I really do think, to, you know, it's not bad to kind of let the chapters help you. You know what I mean? Somebody's thought about this. Just go ahead and let them help you on that. Um, and, and I think that most people, like, if you've got somebody who's pretty savvy about reading, and you had a reader's version with no chapter divisions, and you said, try to, you know, try to draw the lines in the big picture way. They're going to end up with the chapter divisions we have. I mean, it's going to end up being that way, you know. So, um, you know, for example, you take something like Ephesians, you you know, where we think chapter 2, verse 1, it, it's a transition, you know what I mean? And... Um, go to, to chapter 3, 4 I mean it, it, do you know what I mean hey, where it does get a little bit more subjective interestingly enough um, is in moral exhortation some of that can be less um, the breaks can be a little you know what I mean a little more fuzzy um, they may be grouped thematically, but probably that's less obvious, you know what I mean, the narrative breaks, and you know what I mean, or the Apostle Paul, what shall we say then? <laughs> you know what I mean, where he's kind of like, okay, there's where the line goes, you know what I mean, so um, James can be a little tricky. You know, that one, um, but I think the biggest insight, speaking of that, the biggest insight for me, um, about James, is just the recognition of how, how closely tied it is to the Nathan Sermon on the Mount. I mean, once you get that, you're like, okay, right, I, you know what I mean? Like, if you think about how the Sermon on the Mount is structured, there is some flow, there definitely is, but it's a little bit freer, you know what I mean? And that helps you out with James, because you realize, okay, this sometimes feels like it's and another thing, and another thing, and another, you know what I mean? It feels that way a little bit, but there's a, um, if you think of it as helping us understand the Sermon on the Mount, like if you read or applying it or drawing out its implications, then the light bulbs come on. You know, you're like, okay, I, I realize what I should and shouldn't expect from this. You know what I mean? And, uh, I think that was really helpful. Um, a good place to see that is, um, it's not the only one, but Douglas Moo's commentary on James will just, he'll line them up. Like, like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. You know, once you see it, you're like, I totally get that. You know, um, the revelations are different in that um, finding that the structure is like 50% plus of the whole exegetical. You know what I mean? Once you see what's good. You know what I mean? Because structure is so important. You know what I mean? To the, to the, uh, to the book. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, in general, I would just say let let chapters help you and, and do it this way. Like, don't say it must be what the chapter divisions suggest, but rather think of it this way. It, that should be your starting point, and you should have a really good reason to deviate from that if you do. Because it seems like nowadays people don't pay any attention. At yeah. least you're taught to almost like disregard the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a mistake. I mean, but what I mean is where chapters get disregarded is more at the level of um, they don't uh, they don't preach. Oh, I want to say this. They preach within passages inside of chapters rather than you know what I mean. So it's more that. Um, but I, I don't know that I've seen so far somebody saying utterly ignore the chapter you know what I mean I don't think I quite see that but it's more yeah the meaningful units are found actually within the chapters and the chapters themselves might not be there you know what I mean okay there's that so let me give you an example Um, have you ever read a novel where you thought there are too many chapters like not the book's too big, but it's cut up into too many pieces. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like chapter 72. You're just like, okay, this is somebody who hasn't made a decision. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like, or it took him 72 days to write it. You know what I mean? It was one of those things. There wasn't some sense of why. Do you know what I mean? Okay, well, if you preach that way, so to speak. That's where, where the you just lose the trail. You know what I mean? From week to week, and, and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't advise that. But um, it's it's really interesting to just make yourself make yourself talk about more at one time. Yeah, I mean sometimes it's good to just force yourself to talk about more at one time. And think about how big the Bible is, how many chapters there are how many years you could preach chapter by chapter through the Bible and never get through it. You know what I mean? And to give you an example, I mean, you, you would sing for Psalm 119, <laughs> but, you know, but you wouldn't preach on half a psalm. You know what I mean? You probably would preach on the whole psalm. I mean, for the most part. Well, okay, you see what I mean? Um... The one I don't have a magic formula for actually is Proverbs. That one, uh, that's a little bit different. And I think the great minds of the, the Old Testament, you know, would concede that. That there's some there's some need to group them uh, a little bit because they, they don't... I mean, you have, a, what is it, the first like 10 chapters? They're, yeah, okay, they're just kind of a flow of thought. But um, once you get deeper in, it gets a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, it feels this way to me, at least disjointed. I think there, there are common themes, but it means grabbing this uh, this proverb, that one, a third, and a fourth, and you know what I mean? Finding the unity that way. Um, but I, I've never attempted to do anything with the Proverbs. I don't think I've ever preached on 
the property. I just, I don't know what to do about that. That one's just a, <laughs> I mean, I suppose I could, but um, I haven't wanted to, you know, I just, I don't know, that's tougher. But, uh, and um, another one that is like that to a certain degree is Ecclesiastes. This is not quite like go and do likewise. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't, you know, this just isn't how it works, you know, so that one's not, yeah. Well, Ecclesiastes has that where you don't, you're not necessarily to agree with the teacher. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you're supposed to be provoked in thought by what he says. Like, is that... Is that true to my experience sometimes? Yeah, I can identify with that. You know what I mean? But he, it's not... Well, how do I want to say this? Um, it's important not to answer all the questions up front. It's more like you have to immerse yourself in it, find it unsettling and then let him answer your questions as later in the book, you know what I mean? Same thing with how do you preach on a passage uttered by the friends of Job? Do you see what I mean? Well, you kind of have to say, look, this is, what is, this is what logic alone tells us will be true about the world. Doggone it, if you're a good person, God's going to going to give you a smooth ride that's what logic tells us you know <laughs> so i mean if i'm trying to pre- if i were to try to preach on that i have it but i would say the friends of job are what we all default to that's that's what we think the world's going to be like <laughs> i mean so you know if you're thinking what a bunch of idiots no they're they're us or what we would do. You know what I mean? Like, left to our own theological devices. That's how everybody thinks about the world. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, um, so, you, you know, at that point, you just have to say, they're wrong, but let's not jump on them too quickly. And I don't think the writer of Job wants us to do that. I don't think... I don't think he wants them to come off as just idiots. You know what I mean? Like, I think he wants us to think, yeah, if I'm not really careful, I'm kind of going to think that way about the world. You know, I'm going to think this is who God is. And I think that it's all our, what? All of our relationships, our days of relating to God are transactional. That's how it's going to seem. And uh, it's important, like, and that would tell you, that would help you, like, here, here's what would be an interesting sermon series, is to preach on Deuteronomy, then preach on Job. Because Deuteronomy gives the blessings and curses for obedience and disobedience, so there's, you see what I mean? Then you go to Job, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought... <laughs> See how that worked? Like I thought it was supposed to work that way, you know. And, and Job is like the, the 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 antithesis of that, you know. Not not in the sense of undermining it theologically, but but 
challenging or easy breezy applications of Deuteronomy to individual lives. That that's what you can't do. Right? You can't just individualize everything that's said to the nation of Israel. Okay, well that see what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, but but yeah, I mean back to the the larger point. I would yeah, I would mainly let chapters be your guide for the most part. I mean that's. You could do a lot worse, and, and once in a while you'll see. Okay, I can't make this work. I just I'm not seeing it. But you'll realize actually, if I, if, if if I thought about the meaningful unit being sooner rather than later, maybe it would work. The other thing I sometimes do is is double dip on the same passage from one week to the next. Um. So I'll I'll put. I'll have the passage previously conclude, and then I'll preach the same three or four verses as the beginning of the next one because they're kind of transitional. You know what I mean? And I'll just say that. I mean, they, they sort of wrap up the previous chapter, but they also introduce, the, you know what I mean? A good example of where a call like that has to be made is in. Um, and John Salehammer brings this out, is your thoughts about what happens in Genesis 6 with the flood, I think that's right, is, is determined by what you think is going on in that passage where they're the sons of God and the daughters of man and they're marrying whomever they chose. You know what I mean? You're looking at that and, and he raises an interesting point, which is if you see that as a prelude to the flood, Right. If you're looking at it that way, then there's got to be something dastardly about what's going on there. See what I mean? Like you're looking for it to be bad. But the point is, or it could just be in those days that it was just kind of business as usual, people doing whatever they want. So an example is, is um, in Matthew 24 where two women are, are at the loom, one is taken, the other is left, and there was... Two men are in a field. A lot daily life is happening, and then the judgment comes. See what I mean? So, which is it? Is it is the sons of God and the daughters of men? Is that is that this evil thing, or is is the writer of Genesis saying, you know, when when Moses is trying to point out what's going on, is he saying? Um, this is wicked, and it almost explains on its own why this could happen. You know what I mean? Well, then you're like, what? You know what? What? And you see what I mean? Then you're looking for something kind of especially perverse about that. You know what I mean? But it might be no. Actually, what was happening is life was happening, and then the judgment came. See what I mean? It was like. Um, you do have references to the evil of men and all that, no question. Um, <clears throat> but just as an example where we can kind of, uh, a passage can take on different shades of, of, of uh, goodness or evil or better and worse, depending on what we think it's doing. You see what I mean? Try to, yeah, try to see the forest. How long should I expect to take if I do something like that, where I want to go from start to finish? Let's say that I take a book like um, 
take a short book like First Thessalonians? Mm -hmm. Is that like a year-long process? Is that a no. couple months no. process? No. <laughs> no, if you immerse yourself in it, I think in, a, in, in like a week or two, I think if you're totally immersed, you can see it. Because the way to understand First Thessalonians is it's a, it's a letter written by a person who is stunned that there's still a church there. You know what I mean? And, and what I mean, but so the way I illustrate First Thessalonians is I, I talk about the Star Spangled Banner. That's my intro, is I, I say that the Star Spangled Banner is written by a person who expected to lose. You know, he did. I mean, that's the whole point of the song. Like, the Brits are going to win. And then he sees the flag. See what I mean? He's like, what? <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, it's still there. Do you see what I mean? Well, that's what Paul's saying about the Thessalonians. Like, he didn't have any time really you know because of the persecution he didn't have any time with him and he's like but I hear that you're there you know I mean it's that's what it is so it's celebrating their persistence and their faithfulness um, notwithstanding the problems that, that they face and so it, it has a positive you know atmosphere to it um, that's that's what you have to see. Once you see that and, and recognize that background, um, that 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 pulls the letter together. See what I mean? Um, you can study it a lifetime and get more and more and more and more. You know, all, all that's true. If, but if you're asking me, like, what's a big picture look of First Thessalonians? I think you. Kind of figure it out in, in about a week you'll go oh, okay because remember i mean this was read to people in the first century so the expectation is they're going to get it i mean it's not like this is see what i mean it, the apostle paul clearly thought that he was writing something basically intelligible to people in the first century you know what i mean so we should think that yeah, you're, you're going to be able to find it. I mean, then you kind of deep dive on things, and there's always more to find, which there is, you know. But um, in terms of the basic structure, yeah. yeah, I think you can get it. I'm thrilled that you've tuned into Timothy Talks. The podcast comes out every first and third Monday of the month, so if you've not already, please subscribe. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, it would mean so much if you shared it with your family and friends. Thank you for listening, and God bless.